Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing. Projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we're back with Punk7741. He's got two eddies, horn rim glasses and a mole. In real life, he's got a background in marketing at Microsoft and now he's the founder of an NFT collection called Edibits. Please welcome Jeremy.eth to the show. Jeremy, how are you, man? Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Mate, um, excited to have you on. I've been seeing these Edibits uh, pop up on my feed, uh, and it sounds like um, you've got a, a diehard community too, so I'd love to sort of unwrap that with you. But um, maybe before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, normally I sort of ask, you know, how you got your handle? Is there a story behind it? But I'm assuming your name is, is actually Jeremy. But Jeremy.eth, that would have been a really hard handle to find. Like you must have been in early. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I I got into crypto in 2017, um, uh, just on the on the recommendations of a few colleagues at work. I had discounted it all as kind of just internet gaming, you know, gaming tokens or whatnot in in the mid 2000s. But finally, in 17, I took the plunge you know, went through the proverbial rabbit hole, if you will. Um, and you know, was hooked, right. was hooked on this kind of concept of decentralization and, and whatnot. Um, and it was through that same kind of connection at work that I was told to take a look at ENS domains. And, um, that was before you could get short na- names, like you could only register seven digits or seven characters and up. And so I had uh, versions of my name and first name and last name combined and stuff like that, but nothing short. Um, but by being connected in that space at the time, I realized it was, you know, following the ENS blogs and stuff. And I, I saw the, the, the dates coming forward for short name registrations under six characters, three, four, and five and six character domains. And so I was in, like, I was in that space, like in those early days when those first came available. So I actually was able to get my name, uh, my three daughters' first names, my wife's first name, kind of a bunch of first names that are quite, you know, helpful now uh, to own things like Sophia, Chloe, Julia, Greg, Todd, um, quite a few kind of really nice first names to to hold on to. What a, what a, what a bargain. I'm, I'm assuming they'd be worth a, a bucket load right now. Uh, when was that? When did you really get into ENSs? Or... I think it was... Well, I think my first ENS was probably 18. And then if I'm not mistaken, I have to go back and look at kind of transaction history on when I actually secured the six six characters and the five character ones. Uh, but I think it was 19 when they opened up the the six character, five yeah. character, four character. S- super, super early, super early. Um, well, mate, um, great to sort of have you on, on, on Punkcast. And uh, I think uh, a few people sort of reached out just, uh, you know, wanting to hear this interview as well. I think uh, sort of interested to hear about it a bit. But um, 
you know, would you be able to share a little bit about your your sort of background, sort of pre crypto, and then uh, and then we can sort of get into your crypto part. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been in and around the tech space for a while, right? So, I coming out of grad school, I first, you know, I did a small stint at the Houston Rockets, which was uh, in the basketball NBA basketball team um, down in Houston, and, and then I left that to go into tech consulting um, in the DC area, which quickly moved me out to Seattle to work at Microsoft as a consultant. And uh, after a couple of years of doing that, I transitioned over to full-time at Microsoft. And I was there for a little over 12 years. Um, my last role, I was uh, director of marketing operations, marketing services, not a developer, um, don't write code, uh, You know, not an engineer. Um, I was always kind of on the business and operations side. Um, and I did that for the last 12 years, uh, leading up into um, through COVID, really. Uh, I left about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, to join uh, a video game company where I'm currently at. Um, and at the same time, over the last uh, few years, I've been kind of really just exploring the Web3 space, um, learning how to do stuff in, in Web3, uh, really leveraging AI to its fullest extent to kind of empower me to do stuff on my own in Web3 as well. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of goofing around in Web3 and kind of being a quasi-creator and and whatnot since roughly 2021, um, you know, ever since I first started getting into... I mean, I yes, I had ENS in like 1920 or so, but I didn't realize those were really NFTs. Um, I, I didn't think of them as that. I, I didn't really get into, I would say, NFTs until roughly around 2020. What, what did you actually study? I have, a, I have a master's degree in international business. Okay. And uh, and then you, you straight into the Houston Rockets, man. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Um, that was fun. That was cool for a year. I wasn't a, a big NBA or basketball fan, so it was kind of an interesting transition. Like I, I went there more for kind of the analytics challenge. I was uh, research and insights manager, uh, and it was it was kind of just a cool place to kind of you know first roll out of grad school. It was kind of just a cool place to kind of. Um, you know, learn a little, you know, apply kind of the, the MBA type kind of thinking processes to research and to, uh, you know, internal fan analytics and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that I, I only did it for a year because I think, you know, deep down, I, I think I wanted, A, I think I wanted out of Texas and uh, looking back kind of the, the lure of uh, big tech and consulting at Microsoft kind of was, was pretty significant at the time. Um, when, when was that? Uh, what year was it? So was like, I think I left the Rockets in 07 and moved to DC. Um, and then I was only in DC for like three months because my first client was Microsoft. And so uh, they wanted me on site in Seattle. So I pretty much moved out to Seattle, you know, by winter of, of the same year. Gotcha. And that was when you sort of uh, started, I guess, getting into a bit more the tech side. And then you got into crypto when in, in 17? What was your journey to crypto? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, my the first. I mean, I I, I remember this is funny. Like, I remember sitting. Uh, I can remember the building and the and the the cubicle that I was at at Microsoft in like 2010, 2011 or so when I read my first article on Bitcoin, and I didn't understand it. I didn't quite get it. Um, so I discounted it then, and then I discounted it a couple more times when when it came across my my channels. Um, so it wasn't until 2017 when a friend of mine from Lebanon was in town at Microsoft and uh, 
was convincing me over lunch probably, um, you know, to to dig in deeper and learn more about Bitcoin and learn more about Ethereum. And I think he had made some decent gains uh, in the last six months, and he was kind of he was kind of trying to get me to see see what he was doing. And uh, and then it was just this massive kind of deep dive for the next, I'd say six months. It was like firehose, like everything was crypto. Crazy. And uh, and that was just Bitcoin mostly, or um, what are you sort of doubling into? Just Bitcoin and Ethereum. I well, I guess I it was Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'd say eighty percent, and then twenty percent. I goofed around with like a really long tail of like Neo, a bunch of like ERP twenty tokens. Uh, it was always like a 15 percent of the portfolio, and uh, most of it is you know went to zero. So yeah, but it was it was primarily Bitcoin, primarily Ethereum, probably you know. 50, 40, 10, I would say, Bitcoin, Ethereum, shitcoins. Gotcha. And then um, I, I think that's when I got into, uh, basically, I lost everything <laughs> in 2017. I do remember Neo. That was the, touted to be the, the Chinese Ethereum at, at uh, the time. Um, I think it was AntShares at first, and then it converted into Neo. I had Neo. I had like OMG, I think it was called. I had, uh, uh, what do I have? ARK, uh, ARK. ARK yeah. Um, I had a bunch of Ripple. I, I sold all of that at break even. Like I had it at twenty four cents. It ran all the way up to like, I say it was like four bucks at one point, and then it ran all the way back down to like less than twenty four cents. I think I sold all break even. I did. I did have a couple of moments. Um, my my wife likes to remind me of this. Like there were a couple of moments when, so I I, I bought into like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum before they 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 ran up to twenty k. Um, or before Bitcoin ran up to 20k, and and then it ran all the way back down. If you remember, in in early 18, it ran all the way back down to like 4k or 3k or something like that. And I held it all the way up to 20, and then I held it all the way back down to three or four or whatever it went down to. And there was one night where I lost, like I lost all conviction, and I sold everything. Like I sold oh, everything at like you know, roughly break even, maybe a small loss. I don't remember, but it was, it was devastating. And I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. I felt like shit. Like, uh, and the next morning I woke up and bought it all back again. Um, <laughs> and so grateful that like, uh, you know, like I, I, I don't know, like I, I got scared. I sold it all. I think I bought it back the next morning for slightly more, but it wasn't terrible. Um, and then from then on, it was just like, you know, just hold it. It's this is going to be a long journey. Like the the quick wins are maybe not going to happen anymore, and and you know just bear with it and and wait it out. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's it's finally sort of paid off for you, given that you know Bitcoin sort of circa forty grand again. But um, but I think there was uh, uh, some a lot of big lessons sort of coming out of that because I think in that first one it felt like a, just a bit of a gamble for me, and so I'll. I probably wasn't like super sort of invested. Um, so I sort of feel like the last cycle is probably my first cycle. So it sounds like you've been through multi-cycles now. This is probably your third, probably my second cycle. Um, I mean, how are you sort of feeling about where we are right now? Uh, I mean, it's it's weird because I, I don't... So 2018 was an obsessive year of always looking at trading view, always looking at charts. Um, and it was unhealthy, right? Like uh, you had, I'd gone through like the, the 17 cycle of like going all the way up and then coming all the way down and then thinking it would go back up quickly. Um, and 18 was just, it was a super slow year. 
it was a long, I mean, it was the beginning of a long winter. And, uh, and I think towards the end of 18, I just realized like I had to uninstall all those apps. I had to quit looking at numbers. Um, and so in the, in the more recent run up, what was it? 21 or so when it ran back up to, to like 60 K or something like that. Like, yeah, I did. I didn't really have the apps installed anymore. Like I wasn't really, I mean, I, I was aware, like I didn't live under a rock. Like I knew the numbers were, were up again, but I also kind of told myself, don't get sucked into it. You know, you're not selling anything right now anyway. So don't like, don't count any of this stuff. Um, and so I kind of just, you know, like I know it's at, I, I actually haven't checked in the last probably week. So I, I know it's at roughly 40 right now. I think it was up like to 48 or 49 or something like that a month ago. Like I don't keep a close pulse on it anymore because like deep down it's like, I, you know, I think I'm holding it anyway for the next five, six, seven, eight years. So it's, it doesn't really come into anything. Yeah. That's probably a spot, spot away to sort of play that. Um, yeah. I probably it's, need to. I've been having to do it for editing purposes because like I just wasted so much, so much, so many hours and so many like just wasted, you know, wasted churned kind of time in 2018 that, that I just realized that you, that's the way you got to manage it. Well, especially if you have conviction on it, right? It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think uh, my wife sort of tells me that my emotions are probably heavily correlated to the markets. So I probably need to find a way to do the same. Um, yeah. So, so that, that that's pretty cool that you you got in and, and uh, um, you know, had a lot of conviction in the space. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, your entry into NFTs? Like what was your first NFT? Uh, I'd have to look at my wallet. I think like I had, I had seen... Um, I mean, technically, I guess my ENS domain, some of my ENS domains are my first NFTs, but uh, the first art NFT, I believe that I, that I bought was a, um, was one of the Beeple drops back in December of 2020, I think it was. Uh, so I have, um, I think I see you're into the ether there. Is that, is it into the ether? It yeah. is, yeah. So I bought into the ether, I bought Bull Run. But I did not buy them during the drop. This was this was interesting. Like I, I had no idea what the price was going to be. I was following people at the time. Um, I knew the drop was coming up. It was during my youngest daughter's um, synchronized swimming, uh, you know, practice. And so I was driving her to practice. I, I, I wanted to get there early so that I could get her out of the car and like be sitting in the <laughs> parking lot when the drop was live because the drop was only open for like five minutes if I remember correctly. That's right. The drop page launched and it was like $969, I believe. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, I, I I mean, I didn't own any NFTs yet. I didn't know the market at all. And I quickly just shut the window and I was like, okay, well, that was a waste of time. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on an NFT. Closed the window, you know, went, went on to do other things while I was waiting for her practice to end. Um, maybe 20 minutes later, I opened up Nifty Gateway to check on like how the secondary market was faring. And like, they were already selling at like three, four, five grand. And I was like, oh crap, like this is something. And so I, I started monitoring the prices all, all evening, that evening. Um, the next day, prices dipped back down to roughly like 15, 1600. And I bought both into the ether and bull run at that point thinking like, all right, these are cool. Like maybe, maybe this is bottom. And then like literally an hour later is to start going back up. And like, I don't think it ever reached those prices again, which was kind of like, it's the only time in NFTs I've ever actually like correctly called the bottom. 
Um, and so I, I was able to get those two. Uh, and so that, and then, and then of course, you know, the whole like spirit of web three and NFTs was focused on the next month or two leading up to his, um, you know, 5,000 every day's launch. And so that got me hooked. Like I was thinking more and more about, you know, okay, what's going on in NFTs? What else is prominent out there? I've heard of these punks before, but I don't know much about them. So maybe I should actually start researching them. So early 2021 is when I started researching punks um, pretty, pretty deeply, right? Like I was, I, I, I made the decision in early 2021 that I wanted to find one for myself. Um, and they were still like, yeah, I, I want to say like two or three ETH at the time. They were still very affordable in early, early 2021. Um, I had even done a couple of presentations, like social presentations at Microsoft. Uh, we had these things called brown bags where anyone could bring a topic that they wanted to present. You bring it to a conference room and other people show up during lunch and they just sit in and listen to other people talk about projects they're interested in or like, you know, cultural things, whatever, anything, not, not even tech or Web3 related, just anything. And uh, so I, I built out like a 20 page deck on what, are, what is Web3 and what is digital ownership and what are NFTs. And uh, I was presenting to people in, I mean, it was like January, February of 2021, telling them, hey, you should probably buy a CryptoPunk. Why not? Like it's digital ownership. It's this new thing. And like people would like laugh me out of the room, right? Like they, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't understand it. I was telling them at the time, like I think the floor price was like, you know, less than five grand. So I was like explaining to them that you could get one for less than five grand. And they thought that was insane for a, for a you know, for an image. Um, it's probably one of the best like uh, alpha calls I ever made to other people that, that <laughs> fall on deaf ears. But, uh, but yeah, so I was doing a ton of research early in 2021, uh, wanting to acquire one. Um, Jeremy, can, and, can I just ask why? I just felt like, you know, that my experience coming into to Web3 and seeing NFTs the way I saw them. Um, and every time I every time I kind of wanted to kind of do more research, um, I was always pointed back to CryptoBucks. And I know they're not, I know there were other projects. I know there were CryptoKitties. I know there were other things that, you know, preceded punks in some ways. But like the the punks are what I was always led back to by articles I was reading, by um, people I w was talking to at the time, like no matter what, it always kind of led back to punks. And the more I looked at them and stared at them and and zoomed in and out of the the deep zoom capability on the homepage, like I there was an aesthetic about them that I just started connecting with uh, that I you know once you once I had it in my mind that I needed one, like I just needed one at that point, and and so I just kept looking and I spent you know the the first half of 2021 just looking at them and staring at them and um and just you know coveting coveting them until i think it was may when i finally saw 7741 hit the floor and it's bald like me it's got glasses like me it's got a mole i have like a blemish on the same cheek it was like okay i wish it had a shadow beard cuz i always have a shadow beard but but all in all, like it was like, whoa, that's that's actually a pretty bang on match, <laughs> and it's on the floor. It kind of made sense. Yeah, is a is a, is a really cool punk. So it's a um, so seven seven four one is bold, um, holding glasses and mole and uh, probably a spinning image of you. Um, we were, were you looking at any other traits at that time? Was it 
an easy sort of process for you or did it was a sort of a long sort of prolonged process? No, it was pretty quick. Like as soon as I saw that hit the floor, it was like, all right, I should probably tell my my wife that I'm going to put some ETH down on this because it was, you know, it was still like 18 ETH at the time, which was kind of pricey. Um, and so I was like, I should, I should probably tell her. So I told her real quick. And she was like, as long as you're playing with house money, as long as you're playing with kind of the stuff that you've are, as long as you're not putting new stuff into crypto, like go for it. Uh, and, and so, yeah, like from the moment that I saw it to, I think it was like 24 hours before I acquired it. Right. Like it was, let me just do a little bit of thinking. Let me check a couple of boxes and then I'll, then I'll grab it. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Always going to check with the wifey. Um, and also it's funny. Um, I can see you just talking about the, the early days of Nifty Gateway and, um, similar with you, Jeremy, I, you know, into the ether, this one was my very first NFT. Um, and I, and I did scoop them on secondary at, at the, um, the Pikachu one as well. And, uh, into the, into the sort of ball run, but that was just a, a crazy point in time because, um, felt like anything that you bought off Nifty Gateway back then were just basically two or three X on secondary yeah. straight after. And so you would always be waiting at these abnormal hours for me anyway, being in Asia, um, because you don't have like five minutes sort of windows to mint, you know, an open edition or something like that. Um, and I think, yeah, everyone's always trying to get for the first edition and so try, trying to trade that advice. And the, the vibe was very, very different. And then leading up to people's auction, NFT's got a whole bunch of attention. And uh, I think you're right. I think punks were sort of starting to brew and cook and get started getting on the move there. Were you were you in the Discord at all um, uh, when you were doing any of your research? Like, or was it just mostly outside of um it was mostly agents. outside. I wasn't a, like, I didn't know what Discord was probably in early 2021. So I definitely wasn't in there early. Yeah. I'd have to look back and try to find like when my first post within the punks Discord was, I, I haven't done that lately, but, uh, but yeah, I didn't do, I didn't do it. I didn't connect with a bunch of punks inside the Discord. I didn't connect with a bunch of punks one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't know any like punks in real life. Um, I, I actually didn't meet a bunch of punks until 2023. Um, I, I met a couple, I met a, I met a guy, uh, a guy here in Seattle. Uh, I went to the, the crypto punk event at the, the Beeple studios back in September. So wow. I, that was like probably the first time I'd been around multiple punks at the same time. Um, we, there was a brunch there. There was a dinner there before the event. So there was, that was kind of the first social punk thing I've ever done. Um, so that was interesting. Cause like, you know, my life leading up to, leading up to like 2022 um, was mostly Microsoft. Like I, 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 I love doing stuff in web three, but my, most of my time and, you know, professional stuff was all kind of regular job stuff. Uh, so it wasn't until 2022, more so 2023, where I had left kind of the, the Microsoft bubble and, and where I was starting to spend more time in kind of web three culture and trying to meet people. Uh, what did you find sort of, Fascinating about Web three culture to to go a little bit deeper. Do you think? I think uh, it's this this the decentralized nature of it and the ownership nature of it. Um, I've always fancied myself kind of a creator and like a, an artist on the side, uh, and so I've always liked goofing around and making things and um, you know building little like you know basic like I I've I've had 
kind of domains and, and like little silly basic websites on the side in the past and, and whatnot, little digital ventures here and there. Um, but I've always been like limited by needing to partner with somebody that could code something or, or needing to kind of uh, rely on some tech or, or something that I, that I didn't know how to build from scratch. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I started seeing the stories of, you know, creators and, and, and folks building collections and, and building things and building communities, I think that drew me in further. Um, and then, and my, like back in 2021, I, I did do a little bit of kind of um, creation and community building and whatnot on my own as well uh, throughout my process with, with kind of researching and finding Punk 7741. Um, I ended up developing uh, expansion punks, which is a is a 10k expansion of the original CryptoPunks. Uh, is that was that yours? You did the expansion punks. I did. So it was me. Um, so the story of expansion punks stems out of all the research that I was doing, trait you know, trait hunting and, and understanding all uh, the punks. Um, I have three daughters, and they would see me pouring over these things for weeks, for months, right? And they would come to me and they would say like. They'd see me mostly on like CryptoPunks.app homepage, zooming in, looking at the 10K. And they would come over and say, hey, let me let me play with it. Let me find let me find myself. And like the challenge they had was they couldn't really find the features that they wanted in a female punk. You know, the original CryptoPunks, you know, it's more like a 60-40 split between male and female. So they're mostly male. All the coolest kind of rare apes, aliens, and zombies are also male archetype. They're not, they don't, they don't really have any of the female smaller archetype or the female traits. Um, and then the females that are there have different, potentially different traits, right? Some of them, some of them are democratized, like 3D glasses and stuff like that. But hoodies, for example, smiles, um, cowboy hats, those are male only traits. And uh, those are traits that each of my daughters kind of would have loved to see in a female. Um, and so goofing around, like it started with me just saying, don't worry, like I'll make you custom punks you know, in Photoshop so that you guys can have your own little stickers and whatnot. And I started there and that just like snowballed into, whoa, like if I can redesign all these traits and democratize them for for females, like that's kind of cool because then, you know, females can find themselves in the space and can can kind of see themselves in the punk the punk ecosystem in their ideal kind of um, archetype. And and so it started with like, well, I don't know how to do solidity. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So I, I found a, a partner to kind of do all of the technical stuff and the smart contract and the website and the coding. Um, and then we we launched it as kind of a, a community-driven, DAO-driven. We built a DAO around it and gave, you know, 34% of, of all proceeds. And we established a DAO behind it. Um, and so, yeah, there's, I mean, it, it turned into kind of a, a really interesting experiment of building something, giving, you know, giving it to a DAO, giving all the secondaries to the DAO. There's a multi-sig wallet there now. Um, you know, there's, at, at one point, the DAO had like a million dollars in value in the treasury. Um, the the DAO now voted, I think last year, early last year to buy a CryptoPunk. So uh, CryptoPunk 2321 is owned by the Expansion Punks community. Um, and so it was a pretty cool story of like, you know, creating something, the art, the art side of it. Like we, we did all this cool technical stuff to create 10,000 new combinations of traits. Um, we did perceptual hashing algorithms on it to make sure that no expansion punk had a pixel for pixel match to any existing crypto punk. So it's not just about making sure the traits are different because in punks, there's all kinds of hidden traits. 
Um, and you could theoretically have a trait distinct punk, but have a pixel twin still if you've got a hidden trait uh, in the in the mix. So so we did all this stuff to kind of ensure um, to ensure there was a uh, a guaranteed uniqueness, um, you know, proven through algorithms, uh, and and then kind of launched it in a way that said like, hey, if there were ten more, like, you know, we we matched rarity, we matched all kinds of stuff to say like, hey, if if the if Larva Labs engine turned back on and created 10K more and sprinkled in a little bit of like democratization across some of these traits to be available on females, what would that look like? What would that collection look like? Um, and that's that's what I think we were successful with achieving in terms of the Expansion Punks uh, collection. Jeremy, you know, uh, I actually, looking back, I actually minted, I think, like 20 of these things. And, ah, uh, <laughs> really? And, uh, and, for the, uh, somebody dropped it to me. I can't remember. It was actually another punk. Um, I forgot his name, but uh, he said that I'm sort of doing this because I think at that time, um, derivative punks started making a bit of a run. Yeah. Um, yeah for him. I had, uh, I mean, I, I just sort of bought some of the fast food punks, you know, punks with like McDonald's hats and stuff like that for a little bit of fun. And and then I just listed it for, a, you know, absurd sort of high number. I think it was like maybe one and a half ETH and they started getting bought. And that's when I started paying attention to derivative punks. And I think Fungs came on the scene, Zunks came on the scene at the time, and um, obviously, you know, expansion punks and sort of into them. But I, it felt like it didn't move, right? It just sort of sat there for, for a while. And then all of a sudden, it took a, picked up a bit of speed towards the end. Um, and then they started moving moving off the floor. So, um, so I do remember that one. It's the punk with the yellow sort of background. Uh, I've got Amber. the open, yeah. Amber, Amber background. And... Um, I've, I've got them open. I just had a, had a look at the cowboy hat with a the female. They actually go really, really well. Um, it's a nice combination, uh, which I haven't sort of seen before. Um, so that's super cool. And then, um, so ex- expansion parts. So you, you, are there, is there still an active community there or um, what's going on there? Yeah, there's a, there is a community there. There's a Discord and there's, you know, 3,000 roughly uh, unique holders. Um, and there's still, you know, sizable value in the treasury. Uh, ETH is down compared to where it was at its peak. Um, and there's also the treasury has been spent on different things. They bought, like I said, the treasury bought a, a punk last year. Um, there was a, a DAO uh, had kind of hired a, a CMO at one point to kind of manage the community. So some money was spent on compensation for different roles at, at, at points in 2022 and 2023. Um, right now it's kind of you know, I'd say it's in hibernation mode. The challenge with it is, is it's still, it, it is a DAO. So no one can extract any money out of it or any value out of it without kind of going through proposals and without kind of securing the will of the community. So it's, it was one of those kind of experiments that, you know, honestly, if I did it all over again, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would have done it the same way, right? Like I, I think it was super interesting and it's, it's, it creates a super kind of, um, interesting environment where now there's this thing that exists and uh, and there is a, a multi-sig wallet with eight kind of doxed members of the community that um, that need to all coordinate and sign transactions if there's if there's the will of the community there to do something. Um, and you know, there's a snapshot and there's different processes that were set up for it. Um, but with the bear market over the last kind of year and a half, um, things went pretty quiet, right? Like the value was going down, um, so it's it's an interesting one of kind of what happens to that DAO and what happens to that community as uh, as people come back to NFTs or as NFTs get more eyes on it. Yeah, uh, super cool, man. 
I want to switch gears a little bit and and maybe talk about um, itty bits. And I'll, I'll maybe just start with this. Uh, I, I did remember seeing this from Cosmo um, uh, Medici, who's got the uh, zombie punk. Um, he, he basically sort of said, uh, itty bits become the mutants to punks. Uh, obviously, disclaimer, he, hold, he holds a bag. Um can you describe what he sort of means by that? And I guess maybe, you know, we can sort of start linking to the story around how you really kicked off any bits. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've never spoken to, to Cosmo, so I don't, you know, um, I don't know. I have a, I have an inkling for how he found out about itty bits. Um, I, I know one of the community members had, uh, I guess one of the itty bits that corresponded to, um, one of Cosmo's um, punks, not the not the zombie punk. Funny story is, I actually picked up the zombie punk on secondary, like a couple of days after Mint, because somebody floored it, and I I acquired it real quick because I thought it was ridiculous to be on the floor. But but my, one a, a guy I know in the community had one of Cosmo's other punks um, as an itty bit, and you know I think he reached out to Cosmo on back channel and just said I want to gift it to you. Um, so I I suspect that's where he first saw it. I, I can't confirm that though, but it seems like that's where maybe it came out. Um, and I didn't realize until like the day of that Cosimo tweet that he had been acquiring others kind of on, on the back channels or whatnot. So, um, so when that tweet came out, it was a complete surprise. Like, uh, you know, we had minted out rather quickly, by the way, like uh, I'll, t- I'll t- talk about that in here in a second, but we, we minted out in a rush and then, uh, and then price kind of, I mean, we minted out super cheap, right? Like these things minted at 0.00, I think it was 0.006 or 0.007 ETH and 0.009 for public. Um, and so it was, you know, 10, 15 bucks or something. Um, and so they minted out really quick. And then the prices kind of stayed around there. They went up a little bit and then they actually dipped back below below mid price at one point. Um and then, and then that that Cosmo tweet came out with the mutant stuff, and it quickly kind of I think more people started realizing, oh okay. First of all, what are inscriptions? Because that was the first part of the tweet. Inscriptions become a thing, and then the itty bits become the mutants of of punks. Um, and I think kind of the the emphasis there I think is more on inscriptions than it is on itty bits. To be frank, like I think you know there's a recognition that. Um, the inscriptions protocol, which we should probably talk a little bit about, um, uh, has been, you know, has been in development and is 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 not going away, um, and it's been here for now I don't know nine ten months or so, um, and then, itty bits I would say is kind of the first uh, project on inscriptions in my opinion that was able to kind of garner attention from non, like inscriptions native core you know, fanboys, if you will, like the folks that have been with Ecryptions since it launched have been minting Ecryptions since those projects launched. Um, I think Itty Bits is, in my opinion, probably the first one to like prick ears and have non-Ecryptions folks pay attention to it. Gotcha. Well, maybe maybe you can just start for everybody, just a high level summary of, you know, what Itty Bits is, because uh, I mean, I can see them on screen now, but maybe if you could just describe that and then love to sort of understand inscriptions a little bit more um sure yeah so so it even started with um you know i follow a lot of just 
you know, folks on Twitter that are pixel artists that, that do interesting stuff. And it started in March, uh, late March of 2023, when uh, an artist I follow named Jay Peter posted an image of just like an exploratory study he was doing at the time of, I think it was a, a frame with like 30 punks on it. And uh, and the punks were all eight by eight pixels instead of 24 by 24. So he had just reduced, you know, some of the most well-recognized punks into little eight by eight punks. And and the funny thing was, was like, even though they were only 64 pixels each, you could still make out which punk was which based on just your knowledge of traits and like familiarity with those iconic kind of punks. Um, and that fascinated me. I was like, oh, I wonder what my 7741 would look like. So one evening I just fired up Photoshop and I was like, okay, let me just use the principles that he used to make those 20, 30, you know, proofs of concept. And let me try to apply that to, to my punk. And I did. And that was kind of cool. Um, but it was limiting in, 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 in that, like you couldn't really do all the traits. You, I couldn't imagine a whole 10 K with just 64 pixels because it just wasn't enough real estate. Um, and so then I tried again with 10 by 10 with hundred pixels and it still wasn't quite enough real estate, um, to actually differentiate all, all 10,000 punks. And then I tried again at 12 by 12. And like, as soon as I built like the first archetype and like put a couple of traits on it and I realized like, okay, 144 pixels, 12 by 12, you know, 25% of the original 576 pixels is actually enough real estate to build a 10 K differentiate all 10 K recognize all 10 K. Um, and I was like, okay, like at that point it was just more of experimentation. I was like, let me try, let me try. Let me like go trait by trait. Let me build out each trait, you know, by hand and pixels. Um, and then I already had just by, you know, by, by previous work doing expansion punks, I already had a bunch of like scripts that I had written in the past, um, cobbled together in Excel like this was before ChatGPT, so I didn't know how to write Python. Like I was literally writing like Excel functions that would combine traits that I would then feed into image magic and generate the punk collection. And so as part of my exercise of building expansion punks, I had built out the original 10K crypto punks first to make sure that I could, um, what I wanted to do, and this was this was like one of the funnest things that I did with, with expansion punks was I built all of the individual traits. This was before the traits were like published as, as SVGs and then the new contract in August of 2021. Um, so I had to like hand build all of the original CryptoPunks traits, hand match all of the PNG, like the hex colors back to Punks PNG. Um, and so I had this folder of all the traits and I generated a, uh, uh, an image magic script that would build the entire 10K and then rebuild the 10K punks.png using my all of my layers and then pixel matched every one of mine to every one of the originals to verify that I could that my layers were authentic enough to build the entire collection without a single pixel error. And so that was like the first process to like if I could do that, then I would be then I could have confidence in stacking order in all the hex values in all the trait pixels and everything to then recompose those in different ways. And so um, so like I already had all the scripts, so all I had to do with itty bits. Once I had redesigned all of the traits in 12 by 12, I could literally just feed them back into the same scripts that I already did for, 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 for the original CryptoPunks collection 
and generate the entire collection again using 12 by 12 instead of 24 by 24. So that was, that was a, yeah, I mean, literally by the time I designed it, uh, I mean, the design took a while to like minimize traits and test and like find pixel collisions and optimize traits and all that kind of stuff. By the time I actually had the traits to generate the collection, it was like literally 10 minutes. It was, it was very fast. How did you figure all this stuff out? Like, because you said you're not sort of a technical kind of guy. Like, yeah. It's just so, it's, like... so the early days, like the entire, the entire, um, the entire expansion punks collection pre chat GPT, um, I did with Excel and I built, um, Excel if then functions and combination functions and all that kind of stuff that would build out little one line image magic scripts. And image magic is like an open source imaging software that basically you can tell it to compile layer on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer. Right. And so I would, I would write, and I, I have this literally it's like, 100, 200 columns of, of data in an Excel file multiplied by 10,000 rows. All of this, like if this, then that logic that that built out all of the expansion punks row by row. Um, and that would all kind of concatenate and build into a, a final single one line per expansion punk. And then you would just feed that into um, Windows command line, which would then call on image magic to do all the compositioning and build out the collection. And so... Yeah, it was super manual. It, I mean, it took me months and months to figure all that out because, again, like you know, even just learning how to use Windows command line was was a challenge for me at the time. But then came ChatGPT, and I realized you could ask it how to do this stuff, and it could, and it taught me how to build Python, like to write Python. I wouldn't say I write any of it. It taught me how to prompt Python. It taught me how to build local web host servers so that I could, you know, mimic a website on my desktop. It taught me how to you know, initialize and deploy through Git. It taught me how to push through Git on the Netlify to host actual pages. And so, you know, 90, I'd say 95% of, of the experience that you see right now on idybits.xyz was all stuff that I built as a non-developer using ChatGPT, using open source Gits and um, in, you know, brute force prompting and, you know, modifying and prompting and testing and modifying until I got to a point where, where the the site was functional. Um, it wasn't until mid December, like a couple of weeks before Adibits launched, that I actually brought on a friend of mine who's a developer to kind of take a look at it and optimize it and clean it up. Like the 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 funny story is is like ChatGPT will get you really really far, but it's not always the most optimized version of code. So like. The way you see the site operating today, every time you clicked on something, all 10,000 itty bits would load in the background again. Every time you like navigated to a different page, all 10,000 itty bits had to load. And so it it was super snappy on my desktop, but as soon as it went live on on a on Netlify and and out in the public, like it would slow down. And so I did have some help kind of optimizing calls and and making making the header more efficient so that, you know, it would it wouldn't reload everything every single time you did something, but um but it's still a really cool use case of of using AI to kind of uh, unlock potential and figure things out. And and really like for me, the year was all about, you know, 2023 was all about, can I do this without a dev? Can I, can I get this to mint? Can I get a collection? Can I do it in a way that I don't have to depend on somebody else? Can I like, can I envision the experience that I want as a collector on a webpage? The, the features, the, the explorability, um, there's some really, if you're on a desktop, you really have to check out itybits.xyz because there's 
like the Zoom feature, which was definitely inspired by the functionality on CryptoPunks.app, but the Explore feature is something that, frankly, you haven't seen before in NFTs. And it's it's a desktop only experience, but it's a it's a data it's a data dream to be able to go in and pivot the pivot all of the the itty bits. By the way, it's the same metadata as Punks, so it's it's applicable if you're a Punk owner as well. You can go there and you can pivot the data, you can filter the data, you can create you know, 3D scatter plots, you can create, um, you know, tree map versions of data. If you're a statistician and you love looking at, you know, data through through different uh, visualizations, you'll have a lot of fun kind of just pivoting all the data. Yeah, I'm, I'm on it now. It's actually really cool. And uh, if, if you've got a chance, everyone should check out any bits of .xyz um, on the explore section. But uh, it, it almost looks like a 3D sort of... Um, what kind of graph would you sort of say that is? But then you'd be able to pick out, like, so for example, I'm just highlighting a single sort of block at the back there is basically seat phrase, right? So is the male uh, with, you know, sort of attributes sort of trunks and he, he sort of sticks out. Right? So it's interesting to sort of see punks stacked up this way because you can compare the different types of punks, aliens and apes, you know, uh, females and males, and you can just sort of compare them pretty quickly visually at, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's cool because like each each punk is represented as a cube. It's a grain of sand, and and the grain of sand is colored to match the skin tone of the respective punk and or itty bit. Um, and so, and you can hover over any of those any of those grains of sand, and it'll the tooltip will pop up and show you which itty bit you're looking at. It'll show you all the traits. You can then click on that itty bit and go to a specific that itty bit specific dedicated page to look at all the traits in more detail. And then of course you can, that's also where it exposes a lot of the new metadata that I've associated to ItiBits, which are not part of the, the CryptoPunks collection. There's a lot of, um, because ItiBits are, are new, because it's a derivative, it's unabashedly a derivative. I don't hide from that. Like it's literally, it is, it is the derivative of the punks in a smaller kind of more efficient canvas um, using what I think is a very interesting uh you know, more efficient use of the Ethereum blockchain. Like these are still on Ethereum, but they're not NFTs. Um, you know, I know you started the the, the conversation today with the Yidibits NFT collection. These are actually not NFTs; they're inscriptions. Which, which you say, well, why is that? Like, what's the difference? And I think it's really important for people to understand this new tech. Um, there are no tokens here. There's no smart contract associated with Yidibits. Um, each Yidibit exists as a fully on-chain uh, representation of the code that makes up the image um, that has been added to a call data transaction on Ethereum. So what does that mean? Like, let me start Let me start with like, what is an Ethscription and, and how did this protocol come about? So Ethscriptions came about as, um, as a concept earlier in 2023 when um, Middlemarch, uh, also known by uh, dumb name numbers, also known known as Tom Lehman, was trying to like prove that Bitcoin inscriptions were dumb. Like his first thesis was, you know, inscribing stuff on Bitcoin is dumb. I'm going to prove it by like trying to show you how that would work on Ethereum and show you how stupid it is. And like that's the that's the that's the story. Like he started there, but then at the more he like researched it and the more he tried to like prove it was dumb, he found interesting novel things to do with it. Um, and he found. <laughs> he found that like you could actually put instead of putting it on a satoshi like you do with bitcoin inscriptions what you're doing is 
you're 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 taking the data URI, like the code equivalent for what an image is, and you're putting that in the memo field. It's called call data. You're putting that in the call data field of a transaction, of an ETH transaction. And so the easiest way to explain to somebody is it's the memo field of a Venmo transaction. You go out for drinks with a friend, they paid for it, you owe them 10 bucks, you Venmo them 10 bucks, and in the memo, you put a little beer emoji. That beer emoji there's is artwork that's going into a memo. Um, and that memo tie, like goes along with that, that transaction history um, in the call data, and it can be called from the call data in the future. Um, and that, that call data field is big enough to put artwork as long as the artwork is smaller than roughly 96K bytes. So a little pixel work, pixel art fits fine. SVG, you could do some higher res stuff with SVGs. That will look fine. You can't put, you know, a five gigabyte, you know, or a five megabyte image on there right now because the call data field just doesn't have enough space for it. But um, but little pixel art like punks or like itty bits works just fine. Uh, and so that concept of like, oh, anybody can do this. Like you can, any artist can go into MetaMask, go into advanced settings, say display call data, because um, it's by default it's hidden because it's more of a it's more of a backend administrative field to speak with with smart contracts. But you can go into MetaMask, tell it to to allow you to to see the call data field, and then take little pixel art, convert it into um, its data URI. There's online tools that do this. Take that data URI, convert it into base sixty four. There's online tools that do that. Take the base sixty four, convert it into hex. There's online tools that do that. And then add that jumbled hex data to uh, uh, to the call data field of a zero ETH transaction. Send yourself zero ETH, because you can send yourself zero ETH all day long. You just pay the gas. Send yourself zero ETH, embed that call data data, and boom, your image is now fully on the network as call data information. And then the protocol around ETHscriptions defines how to look for that call data, right? It defines like the syntax to look for. It's a data URI format. And so these these indexers out there are just watching every transaction on Ethereum. And if the syntax in call data matches the inscription syntax, it sets it aside and says, hey, this is an inscription. It might be an image. It might be an audio file. It might be a PDF. It, whatever it is, if it's a valid data URI, it recognizes it, it indexes it, and it will display it um, in a browser uh, and display it in marketplaces that that deal with inscriptions. And so it's just this really, like it's still Ethereum, which blows my mind, but you're not having to engage in smart contracts. So engaging like trading or sending someone an NFT on through a 721 smart contract could cost you 20 bucks easily just to transfer an NFT. I transferred my itty bit to my wife when I, I bought her one on secondary, transferred it to, to her julia.eth account for 77 cents. And that's because it's not dealing, It's you're not dealing with smart contracts. You're not changing state. All you're doing is changing ownership of the transaction ID by sending that transaction ID to somebody else. So, so Jeremy, let me ask you this. Like, I mean, what are the pros and cons between, I guess, an inscription and uh, a typical sort of NFT? So like, what, what, why, I mean, what would be a reason to use inscriptions over, over smart contracts and, and sort of vice versa? I mean, as an example, could you still find a way to token gate things with an inscription? Yeah, and actually, we're doing that. We're doing that already. So, um, one of the so you can, for for example, on on itybits.xyz, we inscription gate um, your access to 
other features on the site. So if you own an Itibit and you connect your wallet, you can see the Itibits that you own on our site. Um, and if you navigate to any one of those Itibits that you own, you get high-res imagery, poster imagery, like super high-res versions of, everybody knows like the Avant art posters that were printed back in September for punks. Um, we've got those coming for Itibits. Uh, we're actually launching them tomorrow. Um, and and we've partnered with ox.shop uh, and you, you know, there's going to be a, a, an authentication experience where um, it looks for the ownership record of the inscription. And if you own that itty bit, uh, it, you, it'll, you'll be allowed to um, print a high-res version of that uh, poster, for example. And so you can do these, quote, token gating experiences, but it, it just uses a different um, approach, right? It's not using a smart contract verification or, or token lookup. It's, it's using... Uh, an inscription API looking at the the indexers and seeing if you're still the valid owner of that latest inscription. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, the, but there's also, I mean, I, I talk, I really like it because, like, the benefits of it is, is, you know, for someone that I don't write a lick of 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 solidity. Like, I I I wouldn't know where to start. I would probably start with ChatGPT. But like, for me, that's like, ooh, I don't really know if I want to write a smart contract and be responsible for if it goes wrong and all that kind of stuff, knowing that it's like, if a website goes wrong, you can like update the website. But if, but if a smart contract goes wrong and it drains people's wallets, like that's a, that's a problem. Right. So, so like what's great about eScriptions is it, it really allows someone like me to kind of actually eat scribe stuff, put stuff on chain and build a collection around that without ever having to touch like solidity or a smart contract. Um, I like I like it for that. Now, does it fall short? Absolutely. There's a ton of things. You know, the ecosystem around around inscriptions is still nascent, right? You've got um, no primary major wallets like MetaMask are showing inscriptions. OpenSea doesn't show inscriptions. Um, so there's there's still a lot of growth. Uh, there are marketplaces like Ordax.io is probably the the most recognized right now um, that are dedicated to the inscription space. So you can go and see your assets by connecting your wallet there and seeing what you own and try trading and buying and whatnot. Um, but it's still nascent. There's still a lot of growth to happen here. Um, but like the, uh, and, and like you said, like all of the, like the, the token gating experiences and all the apps out there that, that, that are, you know, built for ERC 721, you know, they don't work yet for, for inscription. So it's really about like, will inscriptions take off? Is there enough of a value proposition on the gas savings and on the other experiences? And I'm bullish on it. Like personally, I think there is because every time you trade, you know, every time you buy a shitcoin on, you know, on on Sushi Swap or on any of the the major swap platforms, I don't do that very much. But uh, but you're still paying like exorbitant transaction fees just to like speculate and buy buy shitcoins. Um, you know that you can do all of that now using inscriptions tech. There's a there's a parallel called Facet Swap that has used the open source. Um, uh, Uniswap code to to build uh, a version of it on on Facet, um, and you can do all of that for pennies on the dollar. So for every transaction that may have cost you, you know, fifteen, twenty, thirty bucks, it costs you less than a buck to do the same transaction on Facet using Facet Swap using Inscriptions technology. So then uh, there's and they're they're you know the team behind Inscriptions and the team behind Facet protocol, like they're building. You know, there there's a lot of new stuff coming soon. Um, so I'm excited about. It. I'm bullish about like. The potential this has for everyday collectors to be able to get a get what I think is a taste of what 2021, 2020 NFT trading felt like, because 
you can do it for pennies on the dollar. Like you can't you can't really do that anywhere on Ethereum L1 now except for Ethscriptions, which technically is still L1. Like there's no there is no L2. This is like this is the mind blowing part. Like it's still using all of the L1 security and decentralization because you're still operating out of out of call data on L1. You're not moving to L2 at all. Gotcha. Now this is, this is super fascinating. Uh, I mean, there's just everywhere you look, there is uh, little rabbit holes you can you can go down. Um, and I'm just looking at the Audex marketplace now. I mean, there's already Ethereum punks and uh, Ethereum funks as well. So there's all these other derivatives that are already on here. Um, but even like in, in the ordinal sort of space, it's starting to pop as well. Like I just, to be honest with you, I haven't had um, enough time to go deep into them, and I just sort of been fading a lot of these things, but um you might be onto something here man it's uh uh i mean first off the itty bits are really really cute i want i want to try and find find my ones i picked one up last night uh for the for the pump cast wallet but um yeah i'll probably try and experiment with this a little bit more um but uh well congratulations on the uh i guess the launch man and uh, i think um would be sort of super excited to sort of see where this goes next but i mean what 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 is next for itty bits do you think uh yeah i mean um so it's been a lot of fun to kind of build build out to the launch, which happened back on January 5th. And then we're only a month in, right? We're only a month in. We're at, we're closing in on, I think it's 2 million in secondary volume at this point, which is pretty crazy. Like in the, in the one month of this project's lifetime, we're already the second highest trading um, inscription project. Uh, and we're close second. Like, you know, if, if, if trends continue, we'll be, um, number one soonish, uh, and and that's pretty remarkable for like a protocol and for I mean there's dozens and I mean, probably hundred plus collections out there on on inscriptions, and and this project you know pretty much overtook them all in like a couple of weeks, um, and like you said there are a lot of other punk projects like the first 10k that was even minted on inscriptions was the original Byte Perfect 10k Ethereum punks. Um, and I mean, I think that's kind of par for the course. Anytime there's a new protocol, someone takes the punks and like mints them there. Um, so, so it's so what's next? I mean, like we're looking for ways to continue to kind of differentiate um, and bring eyes to inscriptions because, like, the way I like to talk about itty itty bits is more efficient punks on a more efficient Ethereum, and that's a bold statement, right? Like, it starts with you know my journey into into inscriptions, you know, almost a year ago was this like eye-opening experience of, all right, like you can, you can do all this stuff on Ethereum, still on Ethereum, but you can do it in ways that are a little bit more efficient, a little bit more wallet friendly. Um, that's interesting. In parallel, unbeknownst to me at the time, I was goofing around and like building out itty bits, not knowing how I would bring itty bits to market. And it kind of all came together in December when I was realizing like, well, my journey in, in researching and understanding inscriptions and my journey in building these has been this parallel converging journey of more efficient punks on a more efficient Ethereum. And my my thesis and my my aspiration for 80bits is just to be seen as that like welcoming collection and platform to people as they come over from Ethereum to, you know, to inscriptions. Like I I don't in any capacity think that 80bits replaces or or diminishes CryptoPunks. Like I've, I, I freaking love punks. And, you know, a lot of like, a lot of like what I love about Web3 kind of derives from kind of punk culture and like punks themselves. Uh, it's, 
for me, like the whole itty bits concept is this concept of like being kind of like, just like punks weren't the first things on, on NFT, on, on, on Ethereum, itty bits aren't the first things on inscriptions. But to me, like the legacy that I want itty bits to leave behind is the legacy of one that brought the attention, brought people to inscriptions to kind of explore them further um, and to kind of exist as like that, that blue chip kind of representation of more efficient punks on a more efficient Ethereum. Um, now that's not to say like, we're done, like, 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 like we're done and we're walking away and like, it's just going to exist. Like there's, there's stuff that we still want to do. Like we're, we're working, like I said, with, with ox.shop to bring merchandise and, and all kinds of other scenarios to itty bits holders. Um, and so there's a lot of kind of cool, just exploratory stuff that, that I want to do there. And, and I also feel like, you know, itty bits, it's, it's, it's really me and, you know, a, a couple of devs that, uh, I work with on the side now, um, it's kind of like we're pretty agile, right? There's there's not a lot of like machinery that needs to be moved around to kind of explore new things, and so I feel like there's there's some agility there that affords us um, flexibility to try new things quickly uh, and to experiment and like and really like a lot of the things you know anything you can think of that like punks can can or should do like we could probably do it too, right? Like and so it's it's a nice kind of. Um, place to be in terms of just exploring opportunities in web three through this like smaller canvas of 12 by 12. Awesome, Jeremy. Like uh, one thing I, I, I will say though, is that, um, I, I guess the collection that I'm sort of seeing with any bits, it's like, it's a completely sort of reimagined take on a punk derivative. Right. So, I mean, I, I love them. They're really, really cute. I mean, I've seen whites before, but like aesthetically, they don't really, you know, sit well with, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to carry it as a profile picture or collect them, but these things are really cute. They're almost like baby punks in some ways, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of actually really cool things that we did with it too that take it beyond just punks. Like one of the things that is unique about these, um, and this is going to get kind of dorky, but I think like you know, folks that appreciate the punks will will appreciate this as well. Punks are actually transparent, right? Like they're on transparent backgrounds. There are no pixel values in um, in the surrounding around the, the punks archetype, uh, itty bits are not. So every single pixel inside of an itty bit has data in it, but there are 99, the, the background pixels though are 99% transparent. Uh, why? And what does that mean? Like this was a really kind of innovative part of this project was I had to find a way to launch the site, show people the artwork, give people access to the explore and to the entire experience of ittybits.xyz before I minted the project, before I launched the project. And the risk of doing that, as anyone probably knows, is front running. Like as soon as you start showing the art, people are gonna like right click, save it. They're gonna write scripts to download all the assets and they're gonna try to mint it out first. And they did that even with this project, which I knew they would do. Somebody pulled it all and put it on ordinals. Somebody pulled it all and tried to like one by one started putting them on OpenSea. Um, but I knew they would do that. And so what I did with that is I put up decoy assets. All this, all of the assets that were on ittybits.xyz at launch were were not authentic ittybits. And what I mean by that is um, they didn't have hash matched SHA values. And so this is going to get dorky, but this is stuff that like I had a lot of fun developing. <laughs> since um, every ittybit, the background looks transparent, but the background actually has random hex values thrown into it set at 99.5% transparent. And why did I do that? because every itty bit was actually mined. Um, every itty bit 
has, if you feed the authentic inscribed bit image into a SHA-256 file hashing algorithm, the last four digits of the bit will match the CryptoPunk from which it came. And so that's pretty phenomenal because what happens with SHA matching is you don't know what the SHA-256 value of an image is until you until you test it, until you upload it through the algorithm. It's it's a deterministic approach, but the but the output is a 64 character hexadecimal mess, right? Like it's it's random characters. And if, if you change one byte of information, one zero to a one in that file, it's called the avalanche effect. The entire the entire string of 64 characters becomes completely different. And so the only way to kind of predetermine um, the last four digits to match the punk is to make is to just test it over and over and over again by changing something in the image, either changing a zero to a one, changing metadata, or in my case, changing the random background hex pixels. And so uh, using ChatGPT, I wrote all these scripts that randomly insert different hex values into the background at at 99.5% transparent um, and just mine it over and over again. They just keep mining it, testing it, throwing it away, testing it, throwing it away until it finds a hash match to the punk from which it came. Um, and so on average, that's 65,000 tests per itty bit. Um, in bulk, I had to create 648 million itty bits to make this collection. Um, and that's because sometimes you'd get lucky and it would find it in a few hundred or a few thousand or a few um, tens of thousands of, of iterations. But sometimes you had to make 506,000 itty bits before it finally found the last four digits to match the hex or to match the, the the CryptoPunk value. So, like literally, it was this like mining process of of just you know laborious script work to generate enough itty bits where each one would hash match back to its CryptoPunk from which it came. Which I think is like super special. It's it's super nerdy. Not everybody looks at these understands that. But if you if you dive into the website. And you dive into the each itty bits page. You can toggle these background hash pixels. You can you can tell the computer like take all the pixels, make them fully opaque, so I can see what those colors are. And you can see every every itty bit actually has a unique fingerprint of background hash pixels that allow it to then hash match back to the punk. That's super cool. Uh, nerding out, lo- loving sort of the nerding out with you. I, and uh, I think. Um... I think I can sort of hear the passion in in your in your voice as you're sort of talking about any bits. And uh, uh, what, what, one thing I'll probably sort of say as well, and maybe we'll sort of leave it there for the any bits, is that um, you definitely come with a very purest uh, artist artistic sort of approach to the collection, right? And it's not it's there for appreciation. Um, the launch was sort of really low priced and cheap, and it's really around the appreciation for the technology. Uh, and also paying homage to punks as well, right? And so I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I've got to sweep some floors after, after, the, after this call. But, um, but yeah, sort of. Uh, thanks for sharing, I guess, that with uh, Itty Bits, man. And I'd love to sort of, uh, sort of see where this goes next. So, Jeremy, what's your uh, what's your favorite NFT? Yeah, this is a this is a crazy one. Like I've been thinking a lot about this, and my favorite NFT is not actually a token. It is an inscription. Um, and it's one of the first things I described early in my kind of journey of understanding how the protocol works. Um, and where I'll start with that is what's very unique about the inscription protocol is this thing called first come first scribe. And what that means is if you inscribe something in its byte perfect format, so the bytes are, are exactly as they're, they're structured, 
if somebody tries to describe the same thing after you, the protocol won't recognize it as a valid description. Um, and so why is that important? Like that's important because what you can do is you can then preserve artifacts on inscriptions in their byte perfect format and own them. Um, and that, that was like the moment that I realized that, that that's how you could use this protocol as like a, an archeological log of authentic, you know, original byte perfect images um, or documents or whatever, uh, I got I got to searching, right? I like put on my Indiana Jones hat and it was like, okay, like what kind of vintage assets can I find that are less than 96K bytes that'll fit in, fit in call data and I can inscribe them and be the sole owner of them. And so that journey took me to uh, the original Bitcoin distribution uh, and I found all of the original Satoshi authenticated Bitcoin zip files for the software and I extracted all of the, I, I, first I verified them with the MDA hashes to make sure that they were the same hash files that he had sent out. I unzipped all the files and I found all of the original Bitcoin artwork of the little, of the little pixel Bitcoin fav, fav, fav icon imagery. And I described each of the byte perfect Satoshi authenticated his artwork. He designed them. He admits it in Bitcoin talk forms that he designed that, those pixel art. Um, and I described what does it look like, Jared? Uh, the first one is a tiny little, like sixteen by sixteen pixel um, circular gold coin that says BC on it. It's before the glyph with the lines through it. It just says BC. I'll send you. A, I'll send you a, a, a link to the yeah. description after this. Um, and it's like it's literally authenticated as his artwork, bite perfect. Anyone that comes along hundred years from now and unzips the original Bitcoin distribution and finds the imagery and tries to inscribe that artwork will be declined because it, it's already been inscribed. Uh, the, the protocol only recognizes the first instance of that byte perfect image. And, and that's pretty freaking cool. Like, uh, you know, like that, that started this journey of like finding authentic byte perfect original pieces um, and inscribing them and putting them on. I, I did the same thing with like, I was able to go back on archive.org and find the PhD internal Stanford profile page for um, for the founders of Google. And they had a version of the Google logo that probably nobody's really ever seen that was hosted on their like, you know, early 90s uh, or mid 90s, I guess, mid late 90s um, Stanford PhD profile page. And I described those things because like these are like digital assets that the provenance is there. You can go and look at archive.org and find these old web pages with these byte perfect images that were as as created as uploaded by by the creators at the time and you can put them on chain and you can own them and you can trade them and and you can prove that they're original like th these this idea of like using using a protocol as a, like an archaeological provenance um uh journal is just fascinating to me and so so that's that's a pretty fun and and cool use case for why inscriptions are a little different than anything else. That's so cool and super nerdy. I, it's, now, the sort of side question for you: Where, where did like all these inscription collectors hang out? Uh, yeah, so they they hang out in the inscriptions Discord. They hang out on Twitter a lot. Um, you've got a few of them now in the Itty Bits Discord. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's mostly Discord. And the community is growing, like, you know, I'd say a lot more eyes in the last, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that someone like uh, Cosmo kind of tweets out something like eScriptions is a thing or will become a thing. Uh, and so definitely more people are paying attention and uh, the community is growing, but yeah, it's still, 
it's still fascinating because still most people don't really understand it yet or don't know how to differentiate it from like an L2. Just um, on the side of that too. So within the inscription, I mean, would you ever, I think you sort of said they're limited by, by space and size, right? Is, is there a world where we might be able to get like some um, high-res artwork or um, uh, gen art on an inscription at some stage? Yeah. Or Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, one is through SVGs. So you can put some really, uh, I mean, a great example is uh, a friend of mine uh, just launched Ape Scriptions, uh, which is probably what you think it is. It's it's like the general artwork of uh, Bored Apes, but it's been refactored and new traits have been added and all that kind of stuff. But it's all in super high res because it's all using SVGs. Um, and that was launched a week or so ago. Uh, you can do generative art. Um, you can point to you can point um, to JavaScript code. You can point to HTML. You can point to um, other things. Uh, and so there there already have been some basic generative art um, projects launched on inscriptions. Uh, and then there's also this concept of uh, recursive inscriptions where you can inscribe something, and then the next inscription you can call information you know, through APIs and whatnot of another inscription. So you can basically imagine. You know, there's a world where you can inscribe each of the traits of a collection and then as separate inscriptions. And then in a new inscription, you would then compose your NFT, for example, using all those different traits as layers. Uh, and so you could actually start to combine other other higher res assets into singular inscriptions. So there's ways of doing that. Um, and there's people working on other protocols that will make that, I think, uh, more friendly and, and easier to 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 drive. And like I said, like the space is still relatively early, and there's still builders left and right figuring out new ways to kind of leverage the protocol. So, so, so how much you trying to understand recursion? Because I've heard that, heard that word a couple of times. So you're basically sort of saying on a inscription, you're going to have individual traits as layers that roll up to the actual end sort of product. And would you own all of those traits as well, like those separate ETH inscriptions? You could, but I think of... in, in this case, like what you would probably do is um, as a builder, as a collection builder, you would probably, let's say there's 100 traits in your collection, you would inscribe each of the 100 traits individually. Um, and then you would inscribe um, aggregation inscriptions that then reference each of those traits that build it. So they build it in the visual. And then you would mint or sell those aggregation inscriptions and retain the the source the traits. The source traits that that's how in my mind it would probably work, um, but yeah I've I've experimented with that using using HTML and using I I even like inscribed like a really high res like you know two thousand by two thousand pixel image because you can do HTML inscriptions which means you can inside the HTML you can just point to IPFS which is kind of goofy right because the whole point of inscriptions is to put the information on chain. But in theory, you can inscribe something that then has a pointer that points to an IPFS file that's much higher res. So you can theoretically get the benefit of high res visuals by just cheating and using IPFS as well. Gotcha. Super interesting. Just just switching gears back to back to punks. There's a sort of a few questions that I normally just generally ask, and I know we sort of noted out on, on any bits, but um, just switching gears a little bit back onto punks. If you if if money wasn't sort of an issue for you, what would be your dream punk? Do you think? Uh, it would, I, I definitely think it would be a zombie. Like I love zombies. I like zombies more than apes and aliens. Um, so it'd probably be a zombie. 
I haven't spent a lot of time like defining which one it would be. Uh, I mean, I, I would love to, uh, here's like a, uh, like a hidden Easter egg. Um, uh, I designed the zombie that I wanted in expansion bucks. And so it was basically my seven, seven, four, one, but just as zombie skin instead of, instead of, um, light skin. And I was able to acquire that on secondary market in that, in that collection, um, after launch. So it, I kind of like have my perfect one and be like the version of me if it were ever become to become a zombie. Um, but yeah, I think to me it would it would if I had to pick an existing one out of the collection, it would be any zombie with a shadow beard because I just I've, I've always loved the shadow beard trait. I love how it's this like subtle. You can still see the skin tone behind it. I I, I just I've always loved that trait, and so uh, it would probably be any zombie with a shadow beard. Gotcha, and. Um... If you were to look across into the, the the punk community, like uh do you have any sort of favorite punk personalities that come to mind? I, I, I saw this kind of in the the invite to this this meeting. I was like, how am I gonna answer that? Uh because I don't have like single punks that I that I kind of aspire to kind of follow every tweet and all that kind of stuff. I what I love about the punk community is that everybody has an opinion. I don't always agree with them, but like <laughs> but everybody has an opinion and um and often it's articulated in a way that I can understand where they're coming from. Um, and so it's, I, I tend to like just follow punks, right? Like I see a, I see a punk PFP, you know, if, if I know that they're actually the punk owner, cause there's a lot of punks that aren't actually the punk owner, like I'll give them a follow. Uh, and I, I, I love the community as a whole in terms of just kind of seeing, you know, what they address, what they talk about. Um, so I, I see it more as like this aggregation of ideas uh, versus like hinging on any one punk's uh, kind of t- timeline, if you will. Gotcha. It's funny you sort of say that, right? Because um, you know, punks are punks can be divisive on certain topics, um, but but I think that's also part and parcel of the type of community that we attract, right? We attract builders like yourself, you know, people. Um, Almost at the top of their game in in some in some respects, right? Artists, technologists, um, and the like. And so, I think all of them come with with very independent thinking and and points of view. So, uh, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, and uh, but I could sort of see where you're sort of coming from when you, when you're sort of describing um, uh, punks like that. Um, and and if you would describe punk culture in a few words, how would you describe that for you? Yeah, I thought about this too. Uh, I think you're. I think, I think like, I would probably try if I have one word to describe it in. Um, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to use a German word because Germans like to concatenate and build a bunch of meaning into one word, um, and that's the the term Zeitgeist, which is you know, commonly referred to as like spirit of the times. You know, it's the like the cultural and like political and and emotional culture of like. The things that are going on at the current time, um, and I feel that really like no matter what happens, like punks are like moving with zeitgeist to me, right? Like they're they're always like they're at the front of things, at the front of culture. Um, they're they're often early in assessing something. Uh, they have opinions early um, and whatnot. So like to me, like punk culture in general. Uh, it's, it really follows that zeitgeist of what's going on in the, in the current market. Um, and so I think that's, that's a, an apt kind of way of thinking about, you know, distilling it down into kind of one kind of one concept. 
Awesome. And how, how do you feel about V1 punks? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I, I, it's not even a derivative, right? It's, it's kind of like it's, it's a weird, it, it, in a weird way, it's a derivative only because of like the wrapping functionality that happened post post V2 or post originals. Um, I, I mean, I don't own any V1s. Uh, I, I don't think I, I looked for my seven seven four one as a V1, but I think it's part of the batch that has not been wrapped yet, so it doesn't exist yet. Uh, if it were out there and it were cheap, I would probably buy it just for the culture. Um, but I haven't been like, I, I've never shopped that marketplace. It's not something that I'm like following. Um, I, I mean, I think there's, there is digital provenance to what it is. So I, I recognize it. I understand that it's there. Um, I think value follows, um, consensus in this space. And I think the overwhelming consensus is that, you know, CryptoPunks are what are recognized today as CryptoPunks um, or in, you know, in, I guess it would be the V2s in, in some people's minds. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I but I, I don't discount them. Like, I think they're, I think there's something to them. There is a digital provenance to what they represent. And I think that's super interesting in this space. Uh, yeah, I, I think that sums it up. Like, I don't own any I, and I, I would like to own 7741 at one point just for the for the community. Yeah. No, well said. Um, how, do, how do you feel about, I guess, the, the Yuga acquisition and I guess um, in some ways the, the Punk's uh, brand being tied to Yuga? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, um, I don't I don't know if it's, I don't know how to, to assess what could have been or what would have been or what should have been in another world because it happened and like, um, like I, I don't think what I, what I appreciate is they're taking it, you know, Yuga is not trying to commercialize it and not trying to rush into anything with it. Um, I think whether punks are owned by Yuga or whether they're like, I think punks would always be punks regardless of, um, regardless of, of who owned it or what was being done with it. Uh, so I'm, I'm somewhat ambivalent to it, right? Like, um, I'm, I don't own any apes. I've never had any Yuga assets. I've never, you know, acquired or, or sought to acquire any Yuga, any other Yuga assets. Um, and so, uh, I don't really have a strong opinion on, you know, um, should we, or should we not be part of the Yuga umbrella? Uh, so I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because I think like, you know, the punks are like, like the toothpaste is out of the bottle. Like you can't put it back in. You can't really change the culture around what they've become. Um, I guess you could, you could potentially F it up if, if you did some really bad moves, which I appreciate have done, have not been made yet. So, um, I think that's where I stand on it right now is like, I don't spend a lot of time kind of imagining it or thinking about it. And, um, I guess last question for, for the punk cast today. Um, if you could pass on a message to the next era of your punk 7741, what would you like to say to them? Yeah, I, I'd say like build on it. Like you know, use it for connections, use it to build, use it for like the zeitgeist, like embody the zeitgeist that, that comes with owning and being part of the community and, you know, preserve it in that way. Like don't do anything stupid that like, you know, ru like ruins its, its aesthetic for the next owner. Right. Like, um, I mean, it's, it's not something I plan on doing anything with or selling or anything anytime soon. So, but eventually if, if that time were to come, like I would definitely want, 
the new person to look at it as as something to to leverage as kind of a, a token into a community, a token into opportunity, and a token into connections that can hopefully help them, you know, build and grow within the space as well. Jeremy, this was a super fun conversation, man. Thank you so much for um, educating me on inscriptions and and uh, help me sort of understand itty bits a lot more. But also fascinating to hear your story. And you know, in some ways, we were connected to the past through um, expansion funds without really knowing it. And I hope to sort of uh, catch you at one of these punk events uh, going forward as well. But you know, uh, I, I guess any sort of final closing comments on your side, and you know, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, I mean, first closing is just awesome time. It's great to meet you. Uh, I do look forward to to attending more punk events uh, in the future and and getting to know more more punks more directly. And uh, the easiest way to reach me is you know just find me on Twitter. It's at Posvar, or you can probably just search up Jeremy.eth and find me that way as well. And yeah, let's connect. I mean, um, I love ideating and and building. Um, I love you know goofing around with little pixel art here and there as well. Um, find me and connect like let's share interest together and let's find something to build together amazing guys that uh, wraps up an episode of punk cars for the weekend we'll be back next week with another amazing punk bye for now